0: Nine of Radio Free America. This is Uncle Sam with music and the truth until dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's twelve o'clock, America. Another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song.
1: Welcome, everybody, to our daily gun show. We come to you live every night at midnight Eastern to talk about guns for an hour. Got a couple people joining us. We got Dogbody jumping in from Nevada. Thanks for joining.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. We got Gizzard jumping in from Kansas.
0: Thanks for the invite.
1: And Snob jumping in from almost Kansas, but really Oklahoma. Thanks for joining.
2: Yep, thanks for the invite. I didn't get to be here in a while. Excited to be back. Yeah, it's good
1: to have uh, people jumping on. And we're watching the Gun Channel side. There's a bunch of people over there. Thanks for watching on Gun Channel. I see Cycles out there. We'll send him a link. I am not see them in here. You guys getting them in your buddy list? Running. not showing up. I guess I'm narrow, brand, narrow cast in here. But uh anyway, we're also broadcasting on gun, or I guess on YouTube. So uh throwing some links out over there. Um today we're talking I'm trying to talk and type at the same time. Air cycle has a link now. Uh we're talking Rust removal. So I am not the if you guys have ever dealt with that. Uh, and then we're gonna talk about the coolest gun. So right now the shows are getting kind of cycled. Like you said, I don't get to do the show every night. Um, sometimes I'm just exhausted, and other times I'm in the middle of driving and stuff. So it uh, hasn't been great, but uh, kind of recycling the shows so they're all shuffled around out of order. So this is probably, uh well, I guess it is a Friday show, so that worked out. But um, anyway,
2: uh, what do we want to start with? Rust removal? Yeah. I'm good with that.
0: Yeah
2: Yeah, yep.
3: Do you want one else us to start?
1: Yeah, I'm untangling the dog. She's all twisted up in her leaf, so that's what I thought.
3: Yeah, light light surface rust. I'm I'm still doing the old uh steel wool and uh gun oil. Thing. Occasionally, I'll actually start with like liquid wrench or a penetrating oil to make sure I'm getting down under it. If it's if it's serious rust, then I then I do soak it in uh, in a penetrating oil first to start to try to get underneath it. Yeah, I'll oh,
2: go ahead.
4: So I I keep a handful of old pennies for taking care of light rust removal and stuff from certain guns. They work real well for just scraping it off and getting it out.
2: I've used the CLP and like the quadruple odd or whatever steel wool a lot. And then yeah. if it's real bad, just sandblast it and Cerakote. It's my other go-to.
3: I do like I do like Yankee's comment about using I guess there's like an artificial steel wool that's actually more like a pad and you don't get the steel wool splinters in your fingers. And I, I'm definitely going to try buying some of that stuff because some of the old mill syrups I have, I get done working on because I'm an idiot and I don't wear gloves, and and when I get done working on one of those, my fingers look like little porcupines.
2: Yeah, you can use those gray. The gray Scotch bright pads won't scratch really. Like the no. red, will take the finish sometimes, but the gray won't usually.
3: And I've also used. <laughs> yeah, uh, there used to be a brass, um, a thing you used to wash dishes that was like brass in a coil.
0: Yep, I know what you're talking about.
3: And those work good, too, thing. because they won't scratch the, the gun.
0: Yeah,
4: You can usually find those wherever they keep cast iron in your local store. Cause they're yes. great. For, yeah. Huh.
0: That's a good idea.
3: And I'm a big believer in the soak. You know, I mean, you saw what happened with those, uh, the guns I had that were had rusted, uh, the insides of the barrels were fouled so bad. And I actually filled them with, uh, with the remover, uh, taped the ends closed and set them upside down in a garbage can for two days. And the stuff that came out of there was like really gross.
2: Now, I've got a question for some of you all, maybe some of you all know. I mean, I came from, you know, I've worked on cars a lot and worked in body shops and stuff, but what would naval jelly do? Does that take the bluing off too? I just don't know. I have no, never tried it. Been scared Oh yeah, too.
3: naval jelly ripped the bluing right off.
2: That's what I figured. I've never tried it. <laughs> and my
3: my brother-in-law, he recently, he recently bought a pistol and it was, it was really kind of cruddy. So he put it in one of those vibratory cleaners on one of those ultrasonic jobs and he made a mistake of putting simple green in there with it and it ripped the fluing right
2: off the gun. I couldn't believe it. Really? See, the I use came simple. out in the white. I use <laughs> simple green all the time to degrease for seric That's what I soak it in. And I've got where I just, if I'm cleaning the gun, it's real dirty. I just tear it all the way down and just throw it in a simple green, let it soak for 30. But I'm not using an ultrasonic. But you're not using ultrasonic, right? Yeah, I'm just using it just in a tank. See, I, I like to use the
4: simple green to clean up whenever we're talking about just like deep cleaning AR bolts and stuff like that. It works great for getting it back to just steel. But I think that the, uh, I mean, taking all the bluing off, that might not be a bad way to go for you if you're looking to re blue because maybe the original job was so far gone anyway. So it's not necessarily a, yeah. so a bad thing.
3: If if you're looking at something where you're trying to maintain the patina, then you, you don't want to do that. But if you've just got an older gun and you just need to really get the rust out of it, I'm a big firm believer if you have to go after that thing with a wire brush on a wheel, do it. And get well, get that rust out of there and then reblue it.
2: Yeah, if you're if it's not a collector gun or worth any you know, worth money like that or that, I always just sandblast it and cerakote it, because so, 'cause I'm a big fan of that and do that. So Seems to be a pretty easy way. No, I wonder if you
3: sand. Don't don't they have like walnut hull crushed up powder that they use for that sometimes? Uh,
2: I use yeah, but I use hundred grit garnet red sand. It's just a real fine sand.
3: Yeah, the garnets are pretty hard, but they're not harder than iron, I don't think, on the Mohs scale of hardness.
2: I'd no, have to go look it up. But they don't they don't actually etch into the steel much. You shoot it at low pressure and. Like eighty or hundred pounds, and blast it at that, and it doesn't really etch the steel. But just, just remove.
4: It. Well, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I've seen guys do it for restoring old swords and knives. Has anybody ever done like the car battery electrolysis?
3: I don't know. Usually, that's how you plate stuff, isn't it? And that doesn't that usually go the other way. I suppose you could reverse it and try to draw stuff out I've but seen, I, I, I I, wouldn't think the oxide would come off first, that's my only concern.
4: Well, I've seen them use it, uh, vinegar baths with electrolysis to cause the rust to break off of old swords and knives and stuff
2: so mm-hmm. I, I don't
4: know, that's why I was kind of curious if I'd be able to do that with a gun
2: Vinegar's another thing that'll remove rust, I don't know what it'll do to bluing. never tried it but
3: Yeah, it's really good on a coffee maker too I use white vinegar on my coffee maker every couple months.
2: It's really good with cucumbers and onions too. But
3: just yeah. saying,
0: <laughs> not after
3: you run it through the coffee maker, it's not. No. <laughs> well, and and let's face it that's how they that's how they do ship's hulls, right? They they put that that different metal and they weld chunks of that to the hull, and it's like a it's a it's a sacrificial thing. And the the rust eats that stuff first. I don't, I don't know how it figures it out, but.
4: Yeah, sacrificial anodes is what you're talking yeah. about. I'm, I'm not yeah. 100%. I'm, I think I saw an episode of Deadliest Catch where they talked about that once. Wow. <laughs> That's one knowledge goes.
3: Yeah, I saw it on a thing about cruise ships because, you know, me and the cruise ships, we get along real good. So. But, yeah, it's, uh, gener- generally speaking, though, the big thing with rust, and, and the other thing with rust is, you know, there's two solutions to rust, elbow grease and time. So if you've if you've got the if you need to get it done quick, the elbow grease will do it. But if you have the time and you have a place where you can soak it, I I personally think soaking does, you know, if you if you can take the time to soak it, you'll get a better result. All
2: right. Another question kind of on this. How are you all like I know Cycle, you have a lot of collectible guns and stuff. How do you store them in your safe? What do you oil them with before you store them for extended periods of time?
3: Uh ballastal. I use Bowstall. It smells awful. Oh yeah. The guns, I hate And when the gun stops bit. stinking, you great. know it's time to re it's time to reoil it. It's <laughs> like automatic. It's great. Bow is about the CLP. I CLP. It it's it's environmentally good and it's real, it's very sticky. But I was always taught as a kid to never handle a gun by anything but the wood. So when I like when I put a gun back in a safe, I don't grab it by the barrel and put it in a safe. And and that seems to have helped quite a bit. The, the only times I ever get in trouble are uh, internal parts. If I don't do a good job, you know, keeping the gun clean when I'm putting it back together. And I have a couple of shotguns where the bolts are in the white. And I don't give a shit what you do to those. They are going to turn brown in the safe. Cause I live in the Northeast and there's nothing I can do. I am not going to spend it. Well, I shouldn't say there's nothing I can do. I'm not going to spend the money for like he, the, the golden rods or any of that other junk, you know, to keep the saves, you know, at a, at a higher temperature and drive the water out. But, you know, a lot of people do that, but, but that, that's a, that's an after the fact.
2: Well, I mean, know, I look at it you, this
3: way. Most of those guns were laying around in gun shops and in people's closets for 40 years before I got a hold of them. So mm-hmm. they're, they're so far ahead say, of the game with me giving a little loving care. Not going to be a problem.
4: Well, I'll, I'll tell you something really cheap that I like to do for some of the times in the safe is a couple broken pieces of drywall at the bottom of it. They suck up the moisture in the air and mm-hmm. help keep it dry. I always got extra drywall around.
3: Well, oh, yeah, but I'm always afraid that Chinese drywall is going to make my
4: gun sick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question. Now, this is interesting because you you mentioned wood, and I've always been if I'm putting a rifle up for a long time, not only do I make sure that you know all the metal components are oiled, but I like to put a little linseed oil on all the wood before I put it up. Well,
3: that's of ballast all because you can use it on wood and metal. I had to do a whole freaking gun.
2: You know, it's funny you're talking about that. I need to go get my grandpa's got, you know, his old guns. He's 92 and he's just got a few old guns. He's got an old 16 gauge single shot and a little uh, Montgomery Ward or Sears and Roebuck 22, but it's a Marlin model 60 is what it is. But anyways, it's so bad. I was trying to shoot that shotgun here while back at buzzard. And, uh, the thing wouldn't even eject the shells. And I came down here and just sprayed it with some ballast oil. He's like, yeah, I need to put some saddle oil on it. It's getting a little rusty. And that's all he's ever used ever since he's had these guns, a saddle oil. I don't know how good that is for him, but yeah. Steadly out there on
3: YouTube is talking about CLP too. And I'll tell you, I, I run into a lot of guys who love that stuff, but you know, gun oils are like car oils. You know, you become some kind of religious fanatic about your particular gun oil. Now, just because I use when I'm long storing a gun, I use Ballastol. But during the season, I just use REM oil or whatever gun oil. If they have a yellow tag on it that says, hi, I'm on sale. That's basically the one I use.
2: Yeah. Ballastol is not real cheap.
3: Well, it is. It is if you buy it in the big jugs. But you got to be careful not to contaminate it.
2: Yeah, I bought I don't know how many cans of the little I don't know whatever they are eight or ten ounce aerosol cans at NRA annual meeting last year because they were like I don't remember eight bucks or something a can which was like half price over what Cabela's has it for. So I bought like ten cans, I think. Yeah, and I've been places
3: fifty percent humidity helps, and I yeah, that, too bad I'm I in don't, the north. I don't Kings. know what
2: fifty percent humidity is.
3: Yeah. I don't even get 50% humidity when I'm running the air conditioner in the bedroom. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, you know, I, and, and I'm bad. I'm bad that way with lubricants. You know, I mean, there's some, there's some that I don't really get I like hoppies. I like hoppies. I actually love the way hoppy smells, man. That's, shit's great. I wish they made a clone like that. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, like I said, for the longer term, I have had, just better personal experience with Ballastol. If you can stand a stink, this stuff works really good.
2: It does smell bad, though. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe how it smells. But but CLP the Break
3: Free. Uh, there's a. Well, there's two of them. One of them is like a. There's a gun scrubber. Uh, 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 Birchwood Casey. That's what I'm trying to think of for cleaning. Birchwood Casey. I love that shit. That's good stuff.
2: Like their bore scrubber or whatever that stuff.
3: Well, and they have the one that's, and I think Midnight's talking about it too, is they have the the stuff that comes out like a foam and you actually get like a big plastic tube with it. That's what I used on those guns that I turned upside down because that stuff, it, when you when you put it in the barrel, it doesn't just run out because it fo- has that foaming action. Uh-huh. And that shit is, for if you want something to put on a gun where you can just leave it, And you know, it's going to stay in there and work and not like, that's the problem with REM oil, you know, REM oil, it, it, you know, it's going to come off and it's going to run out the end of the barrel and it's going to be all over, but this other stuff,
4: oh man, it's incredible. And I mean, going back to where we started, wow. going back to where we started with rust. I mean, that's, I've made a, not a lot of money, but I've made a little bit of money over the years just collecting rusty shotguns and cleaning them up from pawn shops and stuff, because people don't want to put it in the elbow work. And you'd be amazed at the deals you can get with some of that stuff just because it has a little rust on it.
2: Oh, yeah. And that's one thing I do all the time, just try to buy cheap guns that are, well, I just bought a uh, Savage little semi-automatic 22 the other day. I bought it and a shotgun for 150 bucks for both, and it was a Maverick 88 shotgun. Neither one of them were worth a lot, but... The, the 22, they just threw in basically for free, and it uh, all the bluing was gone off the barrel. And I was like, mm, I'll sarco that, and you know, got it for nothing. So, well, yeah, I've picked up lots
4: of you know, savage or stover shotguns over the years that were all rusted up. Bring them home, clean them up, take them back, <laughs> sell them for usually more than you paid for them, or to somebody, you know, just because you can clean them up a little,
3: yeah. And, and I, I will admit that if I don't care about the finish that much, I have been known to use a bath of brake cleaner.
2: So that's something else I use a lot, you know, Cerakoting, but again, you're not worried about it. You want to, you you want to get the oil and
3: shit off a gun, man. There's nothing that'll rip that stuff off there and, and rust as well, like brake cleaner, that, that stuff. But you, you have to not really be worried. Like if you've got a gun, that's got an enameled finish, a painted finish, you don't even want to come near it with that stuff.
2: No. And the only thing I use it on stuff that's getting refinished anyway, so I'm not concerned at all. But, you know, I worked in a body shop for years when I was—I grew up basically in a body shop and stuff. And uh, it, I really think brake clean is nothing but lacquer thinner. It smells just like lacquer thinner, works basically just like lacquer thinner in an aerosol can. I've swore to that for years.
4: You might very well be right, sir. Yep. So That's a whole bunch about rust. Why don't
1: we dig into coolest gun you
3: bought? Oh, man, that's
1: a hard one. So I'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll talk about our member of the day. So you notice I already posted the links to uh, MW Tactical, so it's tactical.com and that's Mike, who's been a uh, guest host on uh, well, Black man with a gun for that podcast for quite a while, but also on Clover and Ghost chats more recently over on gun channels and uh, Mike's just you know kicking it on many fronts and he's a cool dude and uh, another asset to gun channels
2: Yeah, I really uh, tried to... Sorry interrupt you there. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, I've been on several chats with him and he's a super guy wouldn't make, can't make anybody nicer than him either.
1: But right I'm so like said, threw his links out there. I'll throw them out again, and we'll talk about oops, we'll talk about uh coolest gun you That's
3: that's really hard. To, you know, I, I have three. Okay, so um the uh. The nineteen thirty-five A, the French pistol that I bought uh, last year, was really cool because the person who sold it to me and needed it, I did not know what they had, and with all those Nazi marks and stuff on it, and it had all you know, it it it, it was it was all parts matching. It had the it had the correct magazine, and it had the stomp on it, and the eagle with the with the swastika on the barrel. And it was just, it just ended up being an amazing gun. It don't shoot worth a damn, even though it fits great. It's got the hardest trigger pull of any freaking semi-automatic I ever pulled in my life. But just from a just a sheer provenance, and you know, it was made during wartime, and and all that stuff. It just ended up being a really cool gun. So that was really cool. But then the other really cool gun was I actually found. Not exactly the same gun, but I found the gun that my dad gave me when I was a little boy. The, 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 the bolt-action single shot that I had now as a little boy. You don't mean, and, like, found it in the basement? No, I mean, I found a, I found that a model of that gun in really horrible shape at a gun store and got them to sell it to me for 50 bucks. And then I went and went after it and cleaned it all up and stripped the stock back down and refinished it properly and ended up with the gun that I had as a little boy. And so that was just cool from the, you know, it just had a lot of, uh, uh, what do you call it, a lot of uh, uh, personal, you know, coolness to it. You know, it's just really good. And then the, the coolest gun I have in my military collection has got to be that French forty nine fifty six. I mean, that that thing's just awesome. The one that I brought down at Tulsa that everybody got a chance to shoot. So those are my three coolest guns and for three different reasons. One, because it was so unexpectedly neat. One, because it was, you know, something from my childhood. And the other one, because it was just the that's probably the coolest battle rifle I own of all the, of all the different battle rifles I own from different countries. That is absolutely the coolest battle rifle I own. Fair uh, all
1: right.
4: You're
3: cool. Who's next?
4: I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and throw my hat in on this. So, I'm going to narrow it down to two, both of which are handguns. Uh, one of them is a gun that I I wanted before they even made it because I'd been dreaming about having one since I was a kid. And that's the Rock Island M19 uh, A2. I always wanted, when I was a kid, I I'd wanted a Delta Elite 10mm. And, and then uh, when I saw Rock Island made a double stack in 10mm, I knew I had to have it. So... There's that one that is just kind of like a gun I had always been hoping they'd make since I was a kid, and I finally got one as an adult. And then the other one, which is a gun that I absolutely hate, but it has a lot of sentimental value to me uh, because it was the first gun my wife ever asked me for. And that is a little Block 42. And it just, uh, you know, it's not a very impressive gun. I personally hate the gun, but It's a cool gun to me because it was the first gun my wife ever picked up and said that she actually wanted. And that made me really happy. So it's cool for that reason.
0: That's pretty cool.
2: Jerry, you're next.
0: All right. Well, I got a couple. Uh first one would probably be the 1911 I bought Although I, I have a kind of a personal thing for all my guns So it's kind of hard for me to pick a favorite or anything like that But the 1911 I'd been looking at buying for two or three years And never could find one around here exactly like I wanted And I stumbled across one in this old store around here that was about to be closed He only had two or three guns left And I'll be darned if he didn't have one sitting in there and uh 419 dollars and so i went ahead and bought that cheap yeah that's my baby
3: oh man
0: and then i went in this is about the same year i went in looking for a 22 just to target practice with something that'd be a great range gun with a 22 and my Guy at the local gun store, he says, Well, I got something older if you don't mind it. And I said, What's that? He said, I got an old high standard back here. He said, It might look like heck. He said, You clean that thing up and shoot it. He said, It'll be a great range gun. So I did just what he said. I took it, took it all apart, learned how to take it down, clean it up, took that thing to the range. And man, it's a tack driver. And then I looked it up the serial number just to see how old it was, and it's a year older than I am, so it's kind of my buddy. Oh so wow. Kinda of got a little bit of sentimental value for that one too. Just so out that of
3: Flinlock, huh?
2: It's not a
0: Flintlock, huh? Max
3: block. Oh, that's great.
2: Mine would be, when I was a kid, I didn't actually buy it. My dad bought it, and I had it for a long time. He gave it to me, and then I don't know whatever happened to it. But it was a little three-barreled cap-and-ball pistol. And I think it was thirty caliber, thirty-two caliber or something. I don't even remember. It's been so long. But it fired all three barrels at once, and it was like a gambler's gun underneath the table. And I thought that was just the coolest thing, and I wish I still had it to this day. But I don't have any clue whatever happened to it. Like a little pepper box. Yeah. It was neat as could be, but it had three barrels, and they were I don't know, fifteen degrees, twenty degrees apart, and they shot all three at the same time, had one hammer and one cap. Well, oh, kind of like a duck foot. Okay. Yeah. And then a gun that I had as a kid, that Psychocam reminded me of that, and I have been looking on Gunbroker all the time for one just like it, and I haven't found one exactly like it. it was the little I had a Daisy twenty-two bolt action. And it used a little magazine like a Ruger 1022, a rotary mag, 10 round rotary mag. But mine had wood stocks and an octagon barrel. I can find them with an octagon barrel and I can find them with wood stocks, but I can't find them together with that. So many of them have plastic stocks or around them. Well, buy, buy two guns. I guess I could. And then put them together. I mean, it's not I mean, like they're, they're expensive. They're cheap when you see them. They're like 70, 80 bucks. Yeah, there you go.
3: Yeah, put, put them both together. And then take the one with the plastic stock and sell it and and there you go. you're you're there
2: <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, it was just a you know that gun. I couldn't tell you how many rounds of twenty two I shot everything that moved with it when I was a little kid, you know, and everything that didn't move also, but I carried that thing around. It was beat all to heck. and then it just I think it got stolen one time from my dad's house when it got broken into when I was a kid.
3: Well, I lied because I never sell any guns, so don't don't buy both of them and then just put one in the corner and, you know, give it away uh, or something, but don't sell it. I never sell any guns.
2: I've made the mistake of selling a few. It won't ever happen again.
3: All the, the that, that'll be a good topic for another day, The Name the gun you regret getting rid of.
2: Yeah. I, I got yes. a
3: couple of those.
2: I can start naming a list when we get oh. to that.
3: Well, I'm just saying, let you know, let G use it for a future <laughs> show. But, but uh, that would be it. That would be a good. That would be a good one. Who haven't we heard from? I think we've actually talked about
1: that before, but yeah, it's been a while. <clears throat> well, I try to only buy guns, at least for a while there. So I got a bunch, I would think. But well, uh, the ones I like the most, I think, is probably my little 22 short from Rocky Mountain. So when Casul invented that gun. That was the first one and they're out there, but they're not, there was, there was never a lot of them. And the people that have them just don't necessarily appreciate them. So they haven't all survived. So those are pretty, that was a pretty neat one to find because of it's the, uh, the beginning of all the little modern mini revolvers. Uh, but uh, that, or maybe my open bolt Mac three eighty. really, really like that gun. Awesome. Well, uh, have to bring that
3: out to a shoot sometime. Yeah, so you have to, have to bring that to Tulsa the next yeah. time. We only go out to Tulsa. Yeah, so everybody can fully appreciate open bolt goodness. Open
1: yeah. And
3: yeah, we, we, we just want to tell them the caliber. That's all. We'll just be quiet about that.
1: 380 is the shit. It's a Brownie caliber, an awesome caliber. Oh, that's true. All right. So, um, That's a bunch of stuff that we talked about today and probably do some other things. We can talk about a gun shop. Um, I'm gonna talk about the shop in Utah. So I'm driving between Salt Lake City and St. George. So St. George is the little town in Utah. So I think it's a little town in Utah near uh, Vegas. It's the closest thing to Vegas. So there's a pretty big stretch there of just desert in utah where you kind of drive tens or dozens of miles between mountain ridges into the basins and at the bottom of one of them basins there's a town called beaver utah and uh somewhere between salt lake city and beaver there's a big billboard on the side of the road that says gun shop and hundreds of guns or something. I forgot because it was basically I'm passing a truck and then I seen the billboard. So I don't know if I got it on my dash cam or not. But I saw the billboard and uh, couldn't see the exit. So I got off in Beaver and found the basically the there was two gun shops there, three maybe. Uh, but I figured it was the big one. And uh, they have a big revolver on the front of the shop, like an old, uh, something to me, whoever's doing that. And uh, um, so mute if you're not talking, basically. So, uh, they've got the old revolver out front, uh, hanging perpendicular off the front of the building, which is kind of cool, and uh, just a massive shop. And we talked about it a little bit yesterday, I think. Who's breathing into the mic? Mute.
3: Oh, that's probably me. Sorry,
1: anyway. So, that was a cool shop, unexpected but i really like the idea of seeing a billboard out there Uh, i don't know why more shops don't do it i suppose because of cost but uh you figure a bunch of people are driving between vegas and salt lake city uh to go skiing or to go gambling or back and forth and they're all seeing that gun shop billboard which is cool and it's the large shop, so it's a it's an outfitter so i imagine if you're going to some lake out there uh, you could stock up or grab anything you forgot or that you broke or lost i guess and, uh, yeah, it's just neat to see a shop like that. Real, real friendly people. I think we might have talked about it yesterday. I remember talking about it maybe in one of the other shows. Well, it's called Beaver Sport and Pond. And I think I asked yesterday if anybody had, done, had been there. Maybe we did talk about this one yesterday.
3: No, I watched yesterday's show, and I don't remember it being on there.
1: Okay, well. I know I just posted it on Instagram, so that's why it was on top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else we want to talk about tonight? Mm-hmm. Right on. So oh, you In front of me. I have my spreadsheet open the, when I'm on the road. So John on the gun channel side, the saying sounds corny, but they're sentimental to me. My great uncle was an armed guard and a long time working on his masters. He carried an old arms corps 38 Snubby. My great grandfather's 1900 Savage 32. I never knew him. It's my connection to him. Yeah, that's what guns are all about. And that's one of the things that drives me nuts when anti-Zole uh, dismiss um, the number of guns as if everybody has you know dozens of ar-15s when a lot of these guns was this in a live chat or was this somebody i was talking to in real life but somebody brought up a great point that guns have existed for a long time and they remain exist you know they so as people inherit and people hand down uh firearms for families they start to accumulate so people are Own dozens of firearms, potentially. Uh, We talk about it more in the end of 2013 when the uh, one of the 23 in executive orders was something about being an arsenal owner. If you owned more than 50 guns, we've talked about, you know, if someone is married, they could potentially inherit the firearms from their own parents and their wives' parents. And now that family is going to own four, you know inheritance is worth the firearm collections that could easily add up to 50. And that's how neat is that, that there's families out there that have, you know, these, these firearms collections that are growing those ways. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's neat. But that, you know, you've got a couple of guns from,
3: uh, here. well, it's and, and if you 100%. think about it, there are guns here in America that are older than the oldest buildings in America. Heck yeah you know you got guns that came over from europe and and they're older than anything it was it's older than the united states it's older than the colonies for god's sake some of those some of those really old european rifles and european handguns and stuff i mean we're we're talking some serious history here and and the history of the firearm is the history of the nation that's one of the cool things about collecting firearms from different countries is firearms are always that funny you know it has to do with economics and what kind of trouble you're having with your neighbor and as well as what kind of really inventive people that you have and truly the 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 firearms of a country tell the the story of that country's history when you get right down to it
2: well, if you think about it, what other thing in this world do you buy? You know, if you buy a good quality gun, you can hand it down for generations upon generations. What other thing can you do that with, really? Well, you, you guys are completely right. I mean... A watch? Maybe. I don't guess I've ever bought a good watch. Well, back in the day, our grandparents would have. Well, yeah, know, true. The pocket
4: and stuff.
1: Yeah, back when there wasn't, you know, digital. But digital just kind of killed it. So you're right. Guns persevere through that because they haven't come up with a ray gun yet.
4: Well, I think that uh, when I was younger and I was traveling around, I heard this expressed by an old soldier. uh, And I thought this was always the most poignant way to look at a gun. The gun is simply the new sword. If you go back in history, you know, it was always a big deal to inherit a relative's sword. That was a very big deal, especially in the male side of the culture. Because that meant you were, you know, it was symbolic of being responsible and head of the family kind of thing. And all the the gun is, is just a reformed sword. That's what they've become, culturally and society-wise speaking.
0: didn't mean to kill the chat there No, like just re- that analogy yeah that worked pretty good
3: but but for some reason you don't see people inheriting in their family sword collections
4: well they are they're just inheriting them in the form of guns now yeah you know, no, you know, i'm yeah. just i'm
3: just saying that the, the firearm is kind of unique in that in that uh People have such an appreciation for the mechanics. I mean, I'm sure, like in Japan, I'm sure there are people that own swords from their ancestors that are highly revered because that that it was more a part of their culture. You know what I mean? In the yeah. United States, the firearm it, it really usurps that position and, and becomes that that part of our culture.
4: Well, that's my point, Elisandro camp is if you go back 500 years in human history, mm-hmm. sword <clears throat> was a big deal across all people who had mastered metal. We just got to the point where our metal stopped being swords and became guns.
2: Yep, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. But there—that that is one downfall to, like, new firearms, you know, per se polymer guns and stuff like that. You get... There's, you know, probably not going to get handed down in last generations like good... No. ...guns did. no, yeah. be in, in 2200, I wonder
3: how many you know 2000 era glocks are going to be that are still actually functional oh, as, that's as long we carry as carry man as long as nobody left them out in the sun and the and the polymer didn't decay or you know that kind of stuff
1: well they don't need to be of high quality or longevity to be significant the little guns that your grandma might have had or your grandpa might have had to take his loot to the bank every weekend or something you know, don't need to be high quality to be significant for your family history.
3: Uh,
2: you know, I've got a couple guns that I inherited from my grandpa and my mom's side. And it's, you know, one of them's a Marlin 22 mag bolt action. And the other one's a Remington 1148. And I'll never get rid of either one of those guns just because of, you know, where they came from. But nothing special, but still shoot them both all the time, though. Yeah, my
3: ex wife's dad had a had a little thirty eight or thirty two, I think, a little thirty two that he had, and it was like tucked up in the rafters of the of the house. And I, oh man, I always lusted after that gun. Was, I, don't, I don't even know what kind it was. It was probably an H and K, but uh, but you know, it was, it was probably a break top H and K. But that uh, that was just one of those things that uh, I'm really sorry that that got away.
1: But every one of those guns is being listed as a gun and when the antis look at that they think again a bunch of air 15s and stuff with stocks on it uh-huh. pistol grip and everything so maybe uh take something from this show and do something on your own with uh maybe patriots uh project and describe an old gun Or an interesting gun that you got, or a family gun, or something like that. I don't know what else. Uh, There's probably some history stuff we're missing, like you said. But uh, I guess we'll start wrapping it up. Uh, Thanks everybody for jumping in and being part of the show, especially the people over on the gun channel side. And uh, we'll be pushing these over to GunStreamer at some point. Uh, it's a pretty cool platform for watching gun-related kind of the videos. They're uh, actual people that we've been in contact with, and uh, I suggest putting your efforts, uh, your viewing habits, and stuff, with people that are actually in the game.
2: Yeah, and actually, it, I was in the chat just a minute ago.
1: Exactly, like you know, nobody from YouTube is, and if they are, it's to tag us or flag us or demonetize or persecute. So, thanks everybody for being part of it.